Welcome to the Soul Renovate Podcast. We are focusing in this series on the Advent season, looking at central figures of the Advent story. Today, we're going to be considering the whole reason for the Advent story, Jesus. As always in this podcast, we're considering and discussing and focusing on what Jesus would have to say to our lives as leaders, learning to abide and live in Him. Let's go. Hello, George. Hello. It's good to be back. Yes. We're in session five of our very first series, Advent series. Um, That's going by fast. It is going by fast. It sure is. Our first two sessions of this Advent series, we gave attention to two important figures we often don't readily associate with Advent. It's not that we don't know they're a part of it. We just don't, most of us probably don't immediately think of them. And that was the Holy Spirit who's all over Advent. And then John the Baptist is such an important person in it. And then we moved from there, the last two, uh, to Mary who's a central figure, we all think of her, and the shepherds. Um, we associate both Mary and shepherds with them, although often we think of the shepherds as props, which we talked about last time. Today, we're going to consider another principal figure of Advent, and wait for it, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we all think of him. I mean, the story is about him. He's the, quote, reason for the season, as we like to say. He's the yeah. focal point. So I think that therein lies our challenge. Mm -hmm. What can we say or bring? Uh, to what little can we say yeah. because of the time limitation? <clears throat> That's right. And I was thinking about this this morning a little bit. <clears throat> Christianity is Jesus. Yes. Uh, when you strip it all down to its essence, it is Jesus. And in Christianity, we start with Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Christmas is Jesus. Yeah. Um, the whole 2,000 years of history that we've been thinking and writing and reflecting all the religions that have come and gone. Um, they've, they've not even come close to having a God who wants to be part of his people. And Christmas is so appealing to a lot of people outside of the Christian faith because the central figure, Jesus, uh. Yeah, he does come to the forefront yeah. in a very unique way. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I reflect on our own formation, George, you and me, much of that formation has been coming in that same direction of Christ being central. Yeah. So any parts of the life that we live, we could say our aspiration, we don't always live like it, like we want, but our aspiration is that Christ is at the center yeah. of all we do, including how we live our faith out, mostly. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the goal of it, like, is to become conformed to the central um, life model, bigger than life model, who is Jesus the Christ. All right. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's say the little we're going to say yeah. today. Yeah. We're going to listen. We've been listening to two of whom you've called the synoptic writers of the gospel, being Matthew and Luke. Today we're going to hear from a gospel writer who has no nativity scene in his gospel, per se, he doesn't really talk about Bethlehem or shepherds or magi or any of that, but he tells in a unique way about the origins of the Messiah in a way no one else mm -hmm. does. So let's listen to him and see if we can say a little about that. So John is his name. He's our gospel writer in this episode, and we're going to look at just the first handful of verses in his yeah. prologue. This is an amazing text, uh, what's called the prologue of John. Martin Luther once said, you could get by with just the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John and be okay mm -hmm. in your knowledge of what you need mm -hmm. to live out. Fortunately, we have more than that, but when you read it, you realize just what a fascinating passage of Scripture this prologue of John is. So I don't know how far we'll get. We may get to all 18, through all 18. I doubt it, but we'll let's give it a go. George, would you start? Would you read the first—let's uh, start with the first five verses. Yep, yep. Jim, I always like to, like, pause— before reading something like of great significance, like the scriptures. Because I think our approach to what is happening here demands a lot of humility. Because um, we're entering a mystery we don't understand. And to just dive into it glibly and read them just like they were words just doesn't do justice mm. to this. Yeah, so, well said. We just take five seconds here to collect our mind and ask the Lord to inhabit it as we read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. This translation says, The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not mastered it. Sobering words. Yeah. 
Thank you. It's interesting here. Jesus is named yeah. by that name, uh, nor is Christ. We don't hear that title either. John is writing about the Word. Christ is the title for mankind, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Jesus is his human name, Savior. But before he's Jesus, or you could argue Christ, he is the Word. That's how John is bringing him mm -hmm. to us. When he becomes flesh, he becomes Jesus, the one who will save. Christ, the Messiah, Savior. And another word sometimes that gets used by the writers is one of our favorites, Emmanuel, God with us. But here he is the Word, and that's worth sitting with for a while. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, how did you read it? It was fully God? Yeah, it was fully God. That was with God. <clears throat> we don't have time to break all this down. We would be here way too long if we did. But it's just worth mentioning that John is assigning this descriptive designation to the arrival of Jesus, he's going back even before creation, hmm. as he says, it is the Word who has created all things. Many of us are familiar with this text, and it's way beyond us yeah. what's being said. The, the mystery here is so deep that, um, you know, we dare not think about it too much, <laughs> uh, but, but it's there, uh, which is a contrast to a lot of the things that we do around Christmas. Mm -hmm. Around Christmas, it's the baby. Right. The baby is the focus of everything. Uh, we lived in Quebec for about 11 years. We were missionaries there, and very, very common among uh, the Quebecois, who are mostly... Uh, Catholic by tradition, um, the expression that I heard over and over and over again, even when people prayed, and not just around Christmas time, but but in their daily lives, they would they would name le petit Jésus, the little Jesus. Mm. Like I I very seldom heard talk about Jesus, the fully grown man what he did on the cross, mm. and all of that. But the reference always pointed back to le petit Jésus, mm. the little Jesus, the baby Jesus. Yes. And the kind of mushy emotionalism that, that comes with that. Yeah, right. And then you take that and put it in contrast with what's going on here. My goodness. Yeah. This is ground, holy ground here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think maybe that's why, maybe unknowingly, uh, we selected this text because yeah. we wanted to bring into the nativity set um, the mystery. Like, I think there's something important there that we can at least communicate in this podcast that 
mystery, the hiddenness part, whether we're talking about the birth of Jesus, his miracles, his activity, and especially cross and resurrection. Part of our faith maturing is coming to terms with there's always going to be a part of our understanding that is not complete. Mm. There's a hiddenness about God. Yeah. And I think growing up in God is in part a process of coming to terms with that, especially when hard and evil visits, hard things come into our lives. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if we'll have time at all if we, if we did. That comes out like it's enfleshed in what Herod was able to do mm. in, in Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a real dark side. Where, where was God? Yeah. Yeah, where was God when that was happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah, what was it like for Jesus and Joseph and Mary, for that matter, to grow up? And make visits to Bethlehem mm -hmm. and realize there are no male peers yeah. of our son. These parents, these families lost their boy. What was yeah. the trauma associated with Bethlehem for them? Because when they right. came back, they didn't come back here. Yeah, yeah that's right. They didn't come back so, to Bethlehem. To well, Bethlehem. we're getting ahead, and yeah. that's part of the story we may not get to cover, but it's mm -hmm. worth. And maybe we'll revisit it at some point. John, we're going to skip verses 6 to 8 because John talks for just briefly about John the Baptist. We've we've done some of that already, so we're not going to get bogged down there. Uh, but I want us to go to verse 9. George, would you read just that verse yes. for us? Because John's going to uh, ascribe to Jesus another name. It's a bit more, maybe. You could think of it as a nickname. Hmm. I like that. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. True light. There's the nickname. We want to think about it that way. George, did you ever have a nickname growing up oh, or later? It, it's so embarrassing. I don't know that I can talk about it. But, um, yes, um, my mother and my sisters and my brothers and the whole family called me Juju. Juju. Yeah. I mean, it's short for George, uh, right? Yeah. But the word has a meaning. It's, it's a French word, yeah. ju Juju, which means play doll. Uh, nice. I was called play doll. Like I'm still traumatized. By that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't true light. I would that's look for at sure. you a little differently now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I grew up in a culture in East Tennessee where nicknames were really an important part uh -huh. of people's identity, and nicknames were, mo first of all, most at least of the males, not always the girls, but most of the boys grew up with a nickname that they were called much more than their name. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point where you weren't always sure what someone's given name was. Oh. Um, and it, some of the names were given as a compliment. Some of them were given in irony. 
For example, a girl who wore really nice uh, smelling perfume, and and I, and I mean that in every good way possible, might be labeled stinky. Huh? She would be called stinky. Yeah. So it's an endearing kind it's of. It's an endearing. Thing, There's an yeah. endearment to most. Mm-hmm. Some nicknames were endearing, mm-hmm. which is was traumatizing, probably. Uh, let me just share a couple of the nicknames yeah. that I grew up around. These are actually real people that were my friends. Puppy, Snake, did you like to have that one? Spanky, there was a Stinky, um, Salt, Roadhog, Skunk, <laughs> Catbird, here's one, Flat Ears, Cricket, Swift, Funky. Yeah, with friends like that, who needs <laughs> enemies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, most people came to wear the <clears throat> nicknames with with pride, mm-hmm. uh, and th- those who could, even the ones that they wouldn't have chosen, after a while, they began to own it in one way or the other. So Jesus is given a nickname yeah. here by John, True Light, True Light, who gives light to mankind. It's not a proper title, I don't think, here, like Christ Mm -hmm. would be, but it's a meaningful one, true light. So let's imagine just for a moment implications of what John's doing here. He's nicking this name for Jesus. Uh, What do you think of, George, with this nickname Jesus as true light coming into the world? Oh. I, I don't have any categories, like comparative categories. Uh-huh. What's a true light versus a false light? Uh, right. That's one way of thinking about it. Yeah. And what does true mean? Is that true in terms of truth? The, yes. the light of truth? Right. The true truth? Um Light exposes things. Mm-hmm. That's a function of light. Yeah. It exposes it's, what might be have been in the dark. Has has been in the dark or yeah. unrevealed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, things that are unrevealed are hidden. That's good. Uh, yeah. uh, in fact, they're called mystery in the scriptures because they're and up to now unrevealed, so um, they become known, made known. Yeah. Truth makes known. Light makes known. Yeah. Things so it illuminates, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be so. Jesus is true light. I think we could think about the light that He is both illuminating our lives internally and externally. <clears throat> he helps us mm-hmm. as we self talk, as we ponder, as we dream. Uh, also, I think of. Um, you know, I do woodworking, and sometimes I like to do it by the window because the light, the true light, mm. not the artificial light inside the room, that's but the good. true light that's coming through that window yeah. helps me see things that I don't see yeah. by the yeah. artificial that's light. That's good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And light's such an important function. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that came to my mind this morning was... When I was a young man, I was a youth pastor, and we took a group of 
uh, high school students uh, to an island uh, in the middle of this big lake where I grew up. And a terrible storm came up. It was really dark, and we had a medical emergency. One of our one of our students got bee stung and didn't know she was allergic. So she was having a, a real emergency, and so our quest was to get on the boat in the dark in a storm and get her uh, to where she could get medical care. And fortunately, it was lightning, which you would think you don't want that on an open lake in a storm, mm-hmm. but we needed it. We didn't think to bring, I mean, the flashlights we had weren't really helping us on the lake, but the lightning was <laughs> happening frequently enough and brightly enough that it allowed us to be able to make out the shore mm-hmm. of the lake as we came in on the boat. And that made me think about all the ways that we need light in our lives. Sometimes you think of light as warm light, like mm, the room yes. was warmly lit. Yeah. And sometimes the light is just overpowering, like yeah. it's la- laser is light. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it's yeah focused, it's focused. a spotlight. So that's worth reflecting. We won't go further into it for purposes, but to think of Jesus as the true light. read verse 10 for us, George. He's, John's going to say something very unique about the, this true light's relationship with the world. He was in the world, and the world was created by him. But the world did not recognize Which boggles the mind. It's a strange series of propositions. The maker of heaven and earth and of humans, as John is saying, makes a personal visit to earth and not only makes a visit, becomes a member of it. And the humans who are image bearers of him, of course I'm bringing in more than we have time to talk about, but they don't know who he is. There's a lot there. They don't recognize it. They because don't. They, they can't tell the yeah. difference. Yeah, and, and setting it in this context, this Jewish context of a people who've been waiting and waiting and waiting on a Messiah king, we would argue a savior. When he comes, he comes wrapped in inconspicuousness. They don't see him. They don't know him for who he is. So I'd, I want to pose the question, George, as we ponder this, you know, really rich text and just try to say a little. As we think about the word coming, Jesus coming into the world, who made the world, he was in the world, but yet the world didn't recognize him. What does this say about God, to do it this way, he could have come to the world in such a way where everybody would have 
not been wondering, <laughs> is this God or not? But when he comes into the world as Messiah, as king, he comes in such a way that people aren't getting it. They're not seeing him for who he is. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? What's it say about who God is? Um, maybe something about who God is. Um, God doesn't run over people. <laughs> like, his presence is overwhelming, and he right. is very considerate of how that presence <laughs> can come upon people. When he visits Moses, for example, Moses has to hide behind the cleft of the rock, mm -hmm. and yes. God puts his hand out there, and Moses is only able to see the back right. of that presence yeah. that was appearing to him. Um, so there's also, you know, speaks to the hiddenness of God, like no one has seen God, Jesus said. And if you want to worship him, you worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm. Like you can't make objects to say this is what what he is like. Right. Yeah. Um, in Second Corinthians, it's very interesting, uh, chapter three, verse eighteen, where it speaks about Moses's eyes being veiled after he is in the presence of God. Right. Because whatever transferred, transferred unto his face mm. from, that, from that time with God. And when he came down, the people said, we can't, we can't stomach this. So he puts Too a much. veil over. <laughs> he puts a veil over his face so that they can be in his presence. Wow. Right? So, yeah, so it's a good way to think about this. Yeah. <clears throat> God coming in the form, not just as a... As of a human being, but in the way that he came, without fanfare, yeah. inconspicuously, um, only known to a few in the beginning, at least. It's really a strange way, but also one at the same time that makes sense, I think, that he would come that way. Yeah, well, we have glimpses of him. Uh, we see him in the way in the ways he is in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really worth studying. Like, what is God's ways in my life? As I look back into the 75 years that I've lived, in what ways have God come to me? Mm. Well, you can say a few things about that. Um, he did not come as a blinding light. Um, one day I was coming out of the embassy in Lebanon when I was immigrating here to Canada, and I saw what looked like, in a vision inside my mind, I saw what looked like a dove landing on my shoulder. And when I looked back, that's the vision that got imprinted in my mind, right? Mm. And some words got imprinted in my head, in my ears, so it's going to be okay. Because there was a good chance that I was, wouldn't be able to leave Lebanon to immigrate to the West. But that presence there told me, God is there. Hmm. And, and, and often he has spoken in these kind of <clears throat> indirect ways. Right. 
Because I, I can't take the direct way of being no. in the presence yeah. of God, right? Yeah. Um, and when one time I was listening to some music and I was a force kind of pushed me down on my knees to be in the presence mm. of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One time I wanted to stand up and I couldn't. I, I was left on my knees. Mm. The yeah. other day, I spent last Wednesday just crying. Hmm. Say more about that. Yeah, I was... And I was busy, I was being productive, it was a good day, I was preparing things, I thought things were going well, and then I stopped four or five times, at least during that day, just to take a breather. Uh And the moment that I stopped, tears began to flow down my face. Was sadness or? No, it wasn't sadness. It wasn't sadness, it wasn't overtly like emotional. But it looks like something was being released hmm. from me. Wow. I wasn't in a crisis. I wasn't dealing with stressful situations or anything like that. Hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't sad. But there's a thing about this, the way this world is today that needs the light so badly. Hmm. Yes. That I wonder if our bodies are not reacting to that and it just comes out hmm. unknowingly. Wow. Well... How, what do you attribute that to? You know, I, those are the indirect ways that that God comes to us. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, so interesting. Well, the strange way of God is about to get a bit stranger. Mm. Uh, read, read verse eleven of John one for us, George. He came to what was his own. But his own people did not receive him. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right, other translations would say authority, to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire, or a husband's decision, but humans who are born by God. Hmm. So Jesus comes into the world. The world isn't recognizing him as God. And then John gets a bit more specific. and says he comes to his own, his tribe, his people, the ones close at hand, ethnically, culturally, geographically, and covenant people. Covenant people who've been waiting for him. And it's not simply that they don't recognize him. They reject him. They reject him. This thing's getting off the rails. Mm-hmm. God has come. It's a mysterious work of God. He's being rejected. Yeah. John's telling the story. But then he, immediately, he doesn't let us stay there. That other verse, verse 12 you read, but for those who did. And then John uses a really common word there, receive. Receive him. To those who believed, then he gave the right to become a, children, a child of God. 
You know, I think it's one thing to fail to recognize God. And we can sort of understand how that happened. Um, the way Jesus came was so hidden in many ways that we can kind of identify with that. But John has taken it to a new level. Those who I think he's inferring should have been most ready to receive him. Instead of receive, they reject. That's a whole different matter. And I think we can understand that to a degree, too. They were expecting a ruling political leader who would come in power and dominion and might, who would rescue them from their social, political pain. And he doesn't. He's with them, not as one um, with earthly political clout. Um, He's coming to them very differently, and they're wanting none of that. They're rejecting. Jimmy, I I don't know. This this is attributed to W.A. Tozer, I think, and many, many people quote it, where he says, how you think about God, who God is, is the most important thing about you. Mm. Interesting. It's the most important thing about you. And the way they were thinking about who God is was based on some categories and some boxes that they had created in which God was was put in his place, right. so to speak. And, and anything outside this box, they had no imagination, no inkling, no willingness, no surrender, no obedience, no compulsion to accept, to receive anything that is new that God is wanting to mm. do. And it's, it's brand new what God is yeah. wanting to do, become one of us. Oh, man. They had no, no category yeah. of, of doing that. And so they, they label it as non-God. What yeah. is God is labeled as yeah. non-God. Yeah. And you know what the Old Testament says about that. It says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Wow. <clears throat> it's amazing because God was not trying to trick anyone. Mm. If you want to know what God looks like, if he came as a human, well, there he is in the person of Jesus. And he's, he's not just not recognized, he's rejected. You know, George, we could do so much of that with that, but I think what I want to do is try to bring it, before we end here, bring it to, close to home for us. Like we understand that Jesus wasn't back then identified for who he was. We understand he was rejected because, the like, like you just said, there was a gap between people's understanding of who they thought God would be, and then when he came, he didn't fit that understanding, those paradigms. So I want to just ask the question. Um, I'm not sure exactly what exactly the right wording for the question is, but what about us? Uh, I think it's safe to assume there's probably gaps in our understanding 
of God. So if God made a personal visit to us right now, would we know it? <laughs> would we recognize him or would we miss him too? Um, would we receive him or would we reject him? It's Maybe you could say, well, it's a little bit of an absurd question because we know the story. We know Christ did come and was not recognized and rejected. But I don't know that I still think it's a fair question. Do we recognize and receive God in our midst now? And in what ways are we failing to recognize and receive him in our midst? And going back to John the Baptist, yeah. who's calling us to think differently about our thinking. I don't, I, these, these questions are just sobering to me. I don't... Not mm-hmm. in expecting us to be able to completely answer them, but I think they're good questions yes. for us. Yeah. I mean, there's a reality behind that, those questions that we're pondering that <clears throat> we can appropriate and um, attempt to see how they flesh out in our lives. Jesus himself said, I will never leave or forsake you. Like, I will be I will be visiting you all the time. Mm. It wasn't just a one-time visit. Right. He said, I'm actually engaging the whole Trinity in keeping visitation with hmm. Earth's creatures. As Father? As Father, as Son, as Spirit. Yeah. The, he gave us the Spirit, who says he was very much like him. God is still on his throne, guiding and directing things. Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake you. I am with you. I'm knocking at the door. I'm here. I'm present. So in a sense, he keeps coming to us. Mm -hmm. He didn't just come to us. And from what you're asking then is, how do we receive that presence on a day-to-day? That's good basis, how do we receive this presence in every situation we face? Part of it may just be something practical like, okay, before you go into a meeting, just take a moment and realize what's happening and receive it as if it were God's gift to you or as if you were bringing God into the lives of people yeah. with you. Yeah. I mean, it could be as simple as that. Yeah, that's really good. could be next time you get in the car or you, you begin to form a habit. The minute you put your we- your hands on the wheels, you say a breath mm-hmm. prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for being my co-pilot, as the Western song <laughs> uh, has it. Or any any number of practices. Maybe yeah. Maybe you drive home and before you enter the house, you take a minute in your car. See, I'm entering the sanctuary that you provided for me. Help me love the people that are inhabiting your sanctuary today. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. You know, George and I, both <clears throat> you and I have been pastors, a good part of our adult lives. And one of, the, one of the ways we get kind of a primer on this on a regular basis is when we're about to teach or preach. Because there's an, there's an acute awareness that we don't have what it takes yeah. mm-hmm. to speak the words of God to a community. And I've been working on, so often before I stand to teach or preach, I will I will have that conversation 
with the Lord and say, Lord, we both, you and I both know, I don't have what is needed within myself for this. I need you to help me. But I think that that same transaction, if I can use that word, that same confession, maybe is a better way of saying it, can be done in all that we do and say, Lord, I receive you anew right now, as you just illustrated before going into the house, before going about our work, before engaging our family at Christmas, perhaps. Lord, you know that I need you in this moment. Right now, I receive you. And I think that's, I think that's John's word for it's us John's, here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think Jesus said something like, um, like this. If you have eyes to see, I will enable you to see. Mm. Yeah. But if you are dead against um, recognizing, not seeing, being blind to what's going on around you, what's going on in you, the kindnesses, the goodness that has come into your life, then you're not going to be able to see. Yeah. And if you don't see, you can't receive. Yeah. So part of it is just learning to see yeah. what's all around us, mm-hmm. the goodness that That's pervades good. our lives. Yeah. And I think, George, I think, I think about my relationship, our relationship, my relationship with you as a friend and a mentor in my life. I think two of the things that I've, that both you've intentionally spoken into my life about and both I've seen in your life, two words that come to mind that have helped me better receive is one is curiosity and the other one is humility. They go together. In some ways, they're just two sides of the same coin, Mm -hmm. I think. But it's that curiosity that when something's coming into my life that is different than my paradigm, rather than getting defensive, because that's my tendency, to get, you've said to me a hundred times, when something's new, don't get defensive, get curious. It doesn't mean that what this new thing is is right or good for you, but curiosity is that confession <clears throat> and done in humility that says, Lord, I need you to help me with this. I don't have all this figured out. There's been a lot of challenges in the culture the last three or four years. Yeah. It's really helped me to learn to think not just differently, but to think, at least I I would hope, more in line with the mind and heart of Christ Mm -hmm. in some of those issues. I'm still working on that. Yeah, we all are. Uh, Mining the resistance we feel yields tons and tons of good things in our life. And curiosity is at the forefront of, of doing that. Why am I being resistant right well, now? That's right. Questioning it. Yeah. Where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. It's coming from a good place, a healthy place, or something else. Yeah. yeah. And the good thing about it is that if, if the curiosity takes you towards God, wonderful. It's godly. If it's taking you away from God, then it's the wrong kind of curiosity. Stop it and yeah. come on back to yeah. the other side. You know? Yeah, that's good. Because there can be a, a wrong side to curiosity. Absolutely. But... But that's that's the test. The test is is your curiosity directing you in the ways of God, yeah. towards God, yeah. or is it the other way? That's if it's good. the other way, stop it, repent, and come back. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Well, we're gonna 
we're going to start landing this plane here, George. But like, let's let's just we, we've said a few things, um, but let's just come back to that word receive. Um, to those who would receive him, who believed on his name, I think that's a really since this is the fifth episode and it's about Jesus. I I'd like to would I would like to leave that with our listeners here. Receiving Jesus. What would receiving Jesus during this Advent, this Christmas season, maybe on Christmas Day even, what what would receiving Jesus be for us? So worth pondering. It definitely is. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will have new insights into what it means to receive Jesus for your life today. You've been listening to the Soul Renovate podcast. Anything we mentioned in this podcast, resources, or scriptures are listed in our show notes. Renovate is a nonprofit that exists to propel Christian leaders to abide and grow in Christ. You can learn more about us at soulrenovate.us. Jim, if somebody wants to support this ministry, how can they do it? Yeah, for sure. You can go to our uh, website, soulrenovate.us, at the homepage, scroll down a little bit. There'll be a Click donate the button. button right yeah. there. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs>